Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Fireside Film Family with Brian and Dan and Mary Ann. I guess they should give their own intros. Go ahead, guys. Hi, I'm Brian. I like long walks on the beach, uh, <laughs> writing poetry to my lady. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> oh my God. Go on. Go on, Dan. <laughs> Dan the man. Uh, I'm I'm Dan. I probably love David Mamet movies too much, <laughs> um, and and like everybody else here, I'm a I'm a fan of cinema, and, and hope you guys are hope hoped our fans or whomever is watching this. We we love all of you. Yeah, all five of you. We love you all. Hey, we had a thousand <laughs> views on that uh, sex and oh film yeah on episode. YouTube. Yeah, on YouTube yeah. that like hey, uh, hey man, the any everybody's a critic. Everybody, right? Sex sells. They're critics, they're critics. Everybody's a critic. Everybody should have their say. So thank God we're doing this. I mean, she is right. Sex sells, you know. Um, <laughs> all right. So, Why would you say such a thing, Brian? <laughs> I guess. So today's topics is controversial opinions that we have about, or also confessions. If you want to confess something to the group. Which okay. is probably more what mine's in line with, but I don't know what you guys are gonna. End yeah, I like that. I like that. Like your dirty little movie secret. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it is in, in that rain. It yeah. it is in that vein, so, not rain. <laughs> well, let, I, I like the idea of movie news first. We well, we, yeah. we should address what's going on. I was yeah, gonna go say. Ahead. I mean, um, Zaslov from Discovery yep. now ahead of Warner Brothers. I'm not gonna <laughs> boo him. I'm not gonna boo because he. <laughs> He made a very good point. Um, he made a very good point. Now, I don't know if this is going to be a game changer with Warner Brothers, but the, the, the previous people, especially since they burned a lot of bridges with that day-in, day-out stuff on HBO Max last year, um, they really burned a lot of uh, bridges in that when they announced that in 2020. They used the pandemic as an excuse, but when you mm -hmm. peel the layers of the onion, you found out that it really wasn't to do with the pandemic. Even if it was, there was no pandemic, they were going to go the day in and day out route because they wanted to impress the AT&T people who then dumped them because of this, um, <laughs> because they thought it would get a lot of subscribers to HBO Max. Um, what Zaslov is saying, I mean, first off, when he took charge, he, he made some questions like, why did we approve why did you guys approve uh um i mean cry macho and it was like well we got this handshake deal with eastwood and whatnot but it was a horrible movie it's not what eh, it wasn't that bad i didn't see it but they <laughs> it, was, do it wasn't okay yeah they do it have was okay. yeah yeah um and they immediately axed the wonder twins which was going to be part of the DCEU. Uh, mm -hmm. Thank goodness that was just in pre-production. Yeah. Now, unlike uh, Batgirl, they're spending $90 million on a, um, a thing that was only meant for streaming to begin with. And he was like, why are we throwing $100, 200000000 million on movies that are supposed to go only to streaming? Ask Netflix the same question. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean... Uh, uh, the that, great man, two hundred different argument. We'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one, he's like, we're not going to be making back our money on that going direct to streaming. If we're going to be spending that much money on movies, they need to be good and be theatrical. 
And that's what people like uh, Denise said with um, Dune. He said, mm -hmm. these big budget movies are not going to survive with streaming. Uh, but yet that's mm -hmm. what Warner Brothers and, and now Netflix is willing to do. And they're losing a lot of money because there's no way they're going to be able to recoup a $200 million film on, yeah. on, on, on streaming. So in that respect, I am happy with uh, Zaslav. It does call into question, though, about uh, creativity. Who's going to be making creative decisions? Are you going to have the filmmakers who are the ones uh, supposed to be doing it? And I know some people have differences, opinions on the so-called auteur theory and things like that. But who is going to be making uh, creative decisions in that? Are we going to be deferring to test screening results, which don't always tell yeah. the truth? On the Blu-ray of 12 Monkeys, there's an in-depth thing <laughs> on, on the test screening with Terry Gilliam right. on um, 12 Monkeys. It was like <clears throat> they were watching the audience react. And the audience was applauding and cheering and laughing with the movie. Then came the cards. Then came the focus group, 360 degree difference on that. It was like when they, they were watching the movie, they were like, oh my God, did you see that reaction? And then they got the cards. They were like, what the hell? This is so low. That's not what we saw when right. we were watching the audience. So sometimes you can't tell the results from test screening. So what are they going to rely on? Is a Zaslav going to bring Warner Brothers back to that studio that was daring, issuing movies like The Wild Bunch and uh, Bonnie and Clyde? Or, I mean, it... it, it Dan's it calls, shaking his head. It calls into question a lot of you know, things here. But if he's going to go for quality over quantity, I, I have to applaud that. And not you know, throwing a bunch of money at stuff to see what sticks. You know, um, and Sony could you could learn that with the Morbius. <laughs> so, so I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I want to let Marianne comment first, and, oh, and then I'll. Why is that? <laughs> why is that? <laughs> well, and I'm gonna get awarded. So I'll give you. I'll give you kind of a simple understanding. <laughs> what is discovery? That's that's one question, right? But then we also yeah. have to ask. What is movie making, really? Right. And I know that sounds like a weird approach, but Discovery was originally owned by, of all people, Cox Communications. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and Discovery was supposed to be reality TV, but with a purpose, right? Right. We're going uh -huh. to talk about the planet Earth. We're going to talk about animals and history and culture and all these things. Right, and right. We're going to seriously discuss them. We're not going to fluff them. Mm -hmm. So over time, Discovery realized, oh, you know what? We see niches in um, uh, HGTV, the Property Brothers, uh, uh, cooking shows, right? These were the things that people were responding to. So they tailored their content to match what people were watching. Well, over time, that turned into things like uh, uh, the Scared Straight. Everybody remember Scared Straight from the 80s, right? Yeah. If you're old like me, do you remember Scared Straight audience out there? Yes. Yeah. So you know, that's, <laughs> the prison that's show, right? Huh? The prison show where they bring a bunch yes. of yes. Scared Straight. Where they, they still have it. It's on A&E now. Right. Exactly. So my point here is that if you think of Discovery's original intent and how they got to where they are right now, 
They got to where they are right now because they strictly listened to their audience. Where's the money? We're going to make our shows to where the money goes. Now enter Zaslow. What's Zaslow's entire programming? I'm going to put the money where my audience wants it to be. If my audience mm-hmm. wants a million horror films, because they sell like crazy, guess what? I'm developing a million horror movies. If my audience responds to a big budget spectacle like uh, uh, Dune or, oh, I don't know, what, what else is coming Batman, up? Batman, uh, I don't know. Yes, Batman, yes. Big, big budget spectacle, right? Then I'll, I'll put my money in that. Mm-hmm. And, but but my, my bets, if I'm, if I'm Zaslow and I'm a betting man, my bets are probably going to be more towards smaller, cheaper films that I can move on streaming or any other platform, whatever that be. And to me, that's going to be horror films, maybe the occasional cheap sci-fi, and a lot of talkies, romantic comedies, um, like the, the Hallmark movie channel. In other, words, in other words, the Sidney Lumets of the world nowadays. We're going to... <laughs> to me, that's a slam on Sydney, but oh, I know no, what you're saying. No, I, I, I'm saying, no, I'm saying I'm, I mean, Network probably would not get a theatrical release nowadays. It was made for the big screen. Right. Yeah. right. So, so you got part one is Zaslow Discovery, the track of the audience is king. And we will do what is right by the audience. You then have the other side of it, which is what is movie making nowadays? We're so used to, and so programmed to think movie making is hundred million dollar budgets, uh, special effects shots, uh, um, everything on a green screen, or whatever <laughs> they do now with the Marvel movies where they have that green screen that's in the round. Favreau, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Favreau yeah. developed yeah. that with ILM. Right. Uh, and and right. exactly. Yeah. So heavy, heavy, heavy background. Heavy, right. Heavy special effects. Here's a great example. Michael Mann wrote the book Heat 2, right? The sequel to Heat, which is supposed to take place both before and after the original movie. He has said that he has financing to make the movie. Who the hell is going to give him the money to make that movie? Remember, the movie is now, Heat is now... 25? Jesus, God. 27 years old? It came out so, uh, um, when... 95? Yeah. Okay. Right. Winner of '95. Casino came out actually. Right. So think about that. He's talking about making a sequel to a movie from 27 years ago. You think if he pitches that to Zazlo, Zazlo's going to be like, "Oh yeah, dude, here's 150 million dollars and go do whatever you want." Oh no. <laughs> All he has to do is say Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> well, but, but even Top Gun Maverick was a vanity project specific to Tom Cruise. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Cruise picked the director, Kaczynski. Cruz picked a lot of the screenwriters and he mm-hmm. was confident so much so that the rumors are that he put half of his salary for the movie on the line. I don't know if you guys have heard that. I it's think I rumor. heard that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a rumor yeah. that he basically said, all right, I'm being paid. What is it? 50 million for the movie, 25 million of it on the line. If we don't make our projected budget, you can have my 25 million. You can have half my salary. Now that's like, that's like, uh, 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 what was it? Um, Will Smith and Ali, right? Gave up, what was it, Brian? Two and a half million in salary to finish the movie? Two and a, I think it was two and a half million. Right, to finish Ali. 
So, I mean, it's not on the same level, mind you, but it's going to be that kind of, of, of filmmaking where we're going to say, is this worth the money we're putting into it? Or is it worth it to me to spend less and get more product? And I think that's where we're going to go. And I'll, I'll say one last thing, Brian, because you, you're old like me and you remember New Line Cinema. Yep. Remember New Line? Remember Shay Shaw? I get his name wrong. David I, Shay Shaw, right? I forgot. Yeah, I, I think right. I could be wrong. But um, if you remember, people copy that formula and New Line was all about horror films, cheap films, get them out the door, Roger Corman, Stipe Protection. I mean, but then they also. Yeah. Wait, no, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I mean, good stuff, though, but they were, right. I mean, Teenage Mutant, and, and then they had a subdivision called Fine Line. Fine Line, exactly. Didn't they do Lord of the Rings, though? Yeah, it was Lord of the they Rings did, that turned them that. around. Okay. Well, it was, it, it was, remember, they were, they were the producing, uh, uh, um, um, what do you call it? So they, they didn't make the movie, they were the initial producers. They owned the right. Oh. No, not distributor, like, you know how it's, um. Uh, uh, Warner Brothers presents a film by Constantine Films, made by the oh, company, yeah, you know I mean? it, subsidiary uh, or something. Or it, it, it was new line. It, I mean, it does have the new line deal on there. Logo, but, right. but, uh-huh. uh, but they also did Boogie Nights, which was under Fine Line. Oh no, oh, no that was uh, uh, um, that one was New Line. And, oh, okay. Well, anyway, Magnolia. My my point is is that the New Line formula was repeated by Miramax because mm-hmm. Miramax had their dimension division. Mm-hmm. And then even as Bloomhouse has gotten popular, Bloomhouse now has a separate division. Mm-hmm. Um, Paramount for a while had rogue pictures. Anybody remember rogue pictures? I remember them. And then they all it like, Yeah, it was like their little in-house indie horror budgets of $10 million or less studio, right? They had Paramount Vantage and Paramount Classics. Exactly. So you see these patterns repeating with the studios over and over and over again. Wouldn't surprise me at all to see Zaslow say, I'm going to invest in four or three big budget movies every year. $100 million, big name director, you know, uh, bags of money I'll dump on you, right? (laughs) But I'm also going to release 15 to 25 smaller, uh, um, whatever's between independent and studio now, right? Or ever that weird, you know, little box. Little women, 40 million. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. 40 million is nowadays is a medium budget. Yeah. Right. But, and, and that's but, but I mean, there, there's all these directors that we don't talk about. And, and that was sort of the next point I wanted to make. Yeah. That could, could take $5 million and make you a great movie. John Sales could take five million bucks and make Lone Star, right? Or or Soderbergh could take ten million dollars and make Solaris. You know what I mean? Like it's like these these cheap little nothing budgets. And and the pitch of all these great directors to the actors were you get to act. (laughs) I won't be able to pay you a lot of money, but you get to act. Yeah. You want to unleash your inner Marlon Brando? Go for it, but I can only pay you half a million dollars. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, honestly, I, think, I think, yeah, go if, ahead, man. If it's a good director, they're willing to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Or, 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 or even if it's a good writer, like like the folks who uh, the folks who did Justified, 
-hmm. all the people on that TV show talk about meeting Elmore Leonard because he would like walk on set just at random. And they were like, oh, my God, it's Elmore Leonard, the creator of the show. You know what I mean? They <laughs> fall down and worship the guy. Right. And he's like, stop doing that. I'm just like you guys. Right. I just want a good product. I want a good show. Or or how uh, Spielberg treats the people who get him coffee. You know this. How oh, yeah. Spielberg treats the people who get him coffee. He's like, it's just coffee. <laughs> he's like, you're not. Don't worship me or tell me I'm great. It's just coffee, guy. Don't worry. He's, about not, Scott, he's not Scott uh, Rudin. God damn it, it's fucking yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh God. I want a hamburger and I want you to go out and get me the cheeseburger at lunchtime at oh, the man. place where everybody in Manhattan is going to get cheeseburgers. And, and it has to have exactly 10 sesame seeds on the bun. And I want to hear it five <laughs> uh, uh, minutes. I'm still in line. He's getting pissed. He needs his cheeseburger. And by the time God. That must be, in the, must be in the design of the Orion Galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. So anyway, I, that I is one wanted, thing. If he's going to go that route, uh, right? And that's and that's where and that's where I think, think. Yeah. So so if if I'm Zaslow, if I'm him, and I'm looking at this, I'm saying I got to treat this as two different things. Now the only thing I'm worried about is he already has a ton of fantastic content in HBO Max. And I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Westworld is fantastic again. If, yeah. if you haven't been watching Westworld, Jesus God, start watching Westworld again. <laughs> he, they pulled it back. I don't know what they did. I don't know why they did it, but it's great again. They also have things like Station Eleven. If you've never seen that, start watching that. Um, coming up in the next six months, they'll have two different Hard Knocks shows which if you're a football geek like me, you gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. And I could totally see Zaslow saying, well, why don't we do uh, hard knocks all the time? Let's just, let's just grab as many NFL films cameras as we can and just follow a football team. My God, the drama in a football team. Yeah. And just to give you a quick example of that, last year they did the last eight games of the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> and Carson Wentz was the quarterback. I don't know. I Again, I don't know how much anybody follows football, but Enough. the drama that came about because of Carson Wentz being on that team was absolutely, utterly insane. And that show got crazy streaming ratings, but it was because everyone was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? Oh, my God, what's going to happen next? <laughs> but it's real life. Yeah. And, and you guys know people gravitate towards sports and things like that. Um, you know, my, my daughter was saying just as a kind of way to finish this up, there's the new TV show with uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney called Welcome to Wrexham. Because they bought the Wrexham, do you know about this? They bought the Wrexham soccer team in England. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and and they're pitching it as an underdog story. You know, we, we bought this team because this stupid little town in England that nobody's ever heard of before has this soccer team. And, and in the trailer, they have one of the best lines I've ever heard. One of the soccer players says, it's not about life and death. It's way more important than that. And I kind of thought that's sort of how we feel about movies, right? Yeah. Movies aren't <laughs> life and death. They're way more important than that. And, <laughs> and I almost wonder if, if, is Zaslow on the same wavelength there? Is he the kind of guy to say movies are way too important to waste money on? They're you know? way too impactful. They're way too uh, uh, a part of our culture, right? 
There's no freaking way I'm going to waste, what was it, $90 million on Batgirl? Right. I mean, Seriously, did nobody... Did, I mean, for a show that's going to go to streaming. Well, but, but let's just make this real simple. Did you want to see Batgirl? I didn't. Not really. I like the actress who was... I did. Oh, she, okay, you, you, really, you, wanted, you wanted to see the story or you wanted to see that actress? I wanted to see it, the movie. Okay. I mean, I knew I'd like the actress too, but yeah. I, I was the interested in the project in general. Yeah, I'll, I'll grant you that. But we're going to get into another topic here, though. I'm just saying that uh, the other side of the coin is, and I don't want to go too deep into this. Right. The Flash and Ezra Miller, the guy who's right. in and out of trouble, and he's not changing. Yeah. But I guess the difference is everybody who has seen The Flash so far, despite what they're going to do with Ezra Miller after The Flash, mm -hmm. whatever happens, I guess everybody who has seen it has said, like, this is fucking good. Mm -hmm. right. This is going to be a damn, as opposed to what they've been saying for Batgirl. I guess the word on the street was not that good. I don't want to trust that. I don't want to trust that because I like Darren Aronofsky and I like Mother. Yet, CineScore gave that thing like an F. No. I'm like, why? Because it's complicated? Because, <laughs> you know, did anybody ever figure out that mother was mother earth did anybody I, ever figure that out seriously I did, and um like, i think and, you, and my, you and me might be the only two people and who javier bardem is i heard about that before it came out so. right. who come in who represent cain and abel and the mother and father who are at and then what happens ed, is ed harris ed harris ed harris as like the adam <laughs> character i love it and then uh, she has the baby, and it's a representation of Christ. Uh, right. Essentially. You know, uh, they're worshiping the baby, and then they're mean to the baby. And right. do something to it, and then after they kill the baby, thank goodness he doesn't show that. Um, everybody, Don't spoil too much, guys. I haven't actually seen it. I, honestly, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I actually enjoyed it a lot more than Requiem for a Dream. But anyways, it's like... I don't try to take these people's words for it. I mean, I'd like to see Batgirl myself, but honestly, I really had no interest in a Batgirl. But, I mean, for somebody like Marianne, uh, she's rightfully di disappointed that 90... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like my highly anticipated movie or anything, but yeah, I was interested in seeing it. I mean, it's a female-centric movie. Yeah, I want to see a female-centric movie. But, so so we... I, I, was, I made... You said yours, I said mine. I, I wanted to hear Marianne's opinion. Come on, um, Marianne. Well, I don't really have like anything more to say. I agree with both of you guys. I mean, like I said, I was kind of disappointed in the Batgirl news, but I guess I I still don't really understand why the Discovery people are in charge of it. Like, the I understand how mergers work. I understand that, but I don't understand why the Discovery branch is like more than the the Warner branch. If that makes sense, does anybody know anything about that? Or it, it was Discovery bought. HBO from Time Warner uh, from uh, AT and T, right? So they bought the whole thing. They bought. Oh, all I I missed that part of it. I yeah. thought no, AT and T had bought Discovery and put them under. So that's that was that clears it up. I don't know why I couldn't find that. AT and T actually anywhere. sold because of the embarrassment that happened over. Honestly, that was part of it. The embarrassment that happened over the day in day out thing. And how oh, I see. Filmmakers came out. I mean. Uh, I mean, Universal basically said, Christopher Nolan, come on over. We want to be in the Christopher Nolan business. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean. Can you uh, blame them? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm, sure I'm looking forward to Oppenheimer. For one thing, it's a historical epic. And how many historical epics have we seen 
nowadays. None. Define uh, nowadays. <laughs> well, but, but let's stop here for a minute. Let, let's kind of pull that thread a little bit. Does anybody really know who Oppenheimer is today? I, yeah, you don't count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't count. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I wasn't. People who don't pay attention to film, you mean, probably. Everybody, no. People didn't know who Gandhi was until the guy who started Jurassic Park made a movie about him. <laughs> so John well, himself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess. I guess you know. I was thinking the other day. I was sort of joking that if I ever did a historical epic about Betsy Ross, I'd cast my daughter because she kind of looks like Betsy Ross. I mean, for <laughs> real. You know? um, but we, we often kind of forget that when we talk about historical characters, the historical part of what they did kind of gets lost in the noise, right? And, and especially during World War II when so much stuff was going on. You had Howard Hughes and and his impact on everything, Rosie the Riveter and 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 women uh, uh, being, I don't know how else to put it, enlisted in the war effort, right? Because there was nobody else around. Um, so all these different threads pulling there, and then there's Oppenheimer, kind of both involved and aloof from it all, right? Like because you know you know he's the guy who's saying I am death destroyer of worlds, and it's like. Okay, so are we supposed to be happy for you? Like, are we supposed to support you? So I'm, I'm hoping that Nolan and and Murphy, especially because I love Murphy, yeah, is going to give the character the gravitas it needs for the impact to be made, like what we're talking about when the film hits the. Judging by the tiny teaser I saw right before No, <laughs> it looks like he's going to be an antihero, which is the way he should be. I mean, he. I mean, technologically, what he did is is great, but what was the cost of that? You know, uh, kind of like John Adams's opera, Doctor Atomic. If you guys have, they actually uh, the libretto is actual transcripts hmm. of stuff that was said and news clippings. But uh, um, so, so, I mean, so no other comments for, from you, Marianne, other than other than I don't like. Uh, I mean, not that I'm saying that, that girl. You forcing me to talk? Gosh, <laughs> I'm just. Like I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She is. Um, she is the uh, you know, Danielle Heim uh, of my um, um, Alana Heim and. and <laughs> Sorry, I love. Hurts again. Hang on. Sorry, I love. I love the band Heim, and I had to work them in here. <laughs> No, I, I mean, it's not like I don't have anything to say. It's just I basically agree with you guys. And yeah. I I mean, that's kind of it's probably too early to say at this point. You know, it's kind of like, let's see what happens yeah. from this. So, yeah, you're right. We don't know what we don't know. Right. We yeah. can become a Bob Chapek situation. <laughs> yeah. I can't seriously want to get into Disney because that that's where I wanted to go next. OK, now for something <laughs> completely different. Our topic uh controversial opinions or thoughts and dan uh try and keep it to an hour (laughs) (laughs) go on dan i i i'm I'm gonna pitch it to marianne because i've been dying to know what her (laughs) controversial opinion is i really go first 
if we can. That's fine. That's fine. So um, I came up with this idea for this topic for this episode. So basically because I figured Brian probably needs to hear this from me before. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not what you think. It's I think this is going to surprise you guys, and I don't think it's actually as much as I hyped it. But my film confession is that I actually watch a lot of movies sped up. Sped up? Yep. I watch them on one and a half speed. Oh, okay. I okay. I see Brian's uh, face. I don't know if he's exaggerating or not. Um, you also <laughs> like you also like black and white movies that are colorized. What? <laughs> what? You, you, huh? what is that a re- what is that a reference what, to? That's not the way the director wanted you to watch the movie. Did yeah, but know? okay, doesn't the right. director always want you to watch it on a 40 foot or however large screen in so, a movie theater? Yeah. I can't watch every movie on a movie screen. Hmm. Okay, that, you, you know, watch the warmth of Arabia like that. <laughs> was, what was that? Was that a question or was that a statement? I'm saying maybe I should watch Lawrence of Arabia like that. Was well, that- see, the reason I started doing it is because when I'm at work, I have an hour of break time at work. And because I got into film so much later than a lot of people, like I haven't been like a film buff since I was 10 or whatever. I didn't get into it until I was in college. So I'm behind. I need to catch up with a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. So I have an hour of break time at work. Mm-hmm. I can fit in a 90 minute movie in that time on one and a half mm-hmm. speed. And I can still comprehend it. I can still see the pauses or the acting choices or the directorial choices. It's just a little bit faster. I get it. I do get it. That's not bad. That's not bad. I was actually kidding about the <laughs> polarization and all that stuff. But no, that's not bad. Okay. I thought you, I knew you were going to have the response though about like, that's not how the director intended. And Sorry, Dan, you were I know it. that's the truth. I know that's true. I have heard that too about about what I my watching them set up. I, I, I mean, I wish I could watch a movie while I work. I mean, I'm right here. I got the damn thing right here. Uh, my new Vizio Dolby Atmos thing with the rear speakers over there. Oh my gosh! When you hear Abbey Road in Dolby Atmos, it's like you discovered. <laughs> it's like Jesus has walked into your room. But anyways, um, <laughs> when you hear the harmonies on "Because" by the Beatles all around you, because it's like the angels in heaven are singing. We would pause this podcast for a moment so that the Beatle fan can get out his inner Beatle. <laughs> <laughs> we went from speeding up movies to Beatles. <laughs> um, so, well, it's it's funny that she says that because I when I listen to podcasts, I listen to them at either one at one point two or one point five speed to get through them quicker. I guess I would have two questions for you though okay do you keep the subtitles on yes absolutely right i leave subtitles on anyway even if it i'm even if i mean obviously not the theater i don't like get a a caption device but your thing now um yeah that was actually on my list of things like i wrote down some things that might be like conversation topics for this thing like subtitles versus no subtitles i don't see what the problem is i watch them with subtitles my I, sister thinks I'm crazy. She's like, how do you watch it and read at the same time? I'm like, I don't know. I read I, fast. I don't know. <laughs> I don't watch them with subtitles, but I understand why people do. However, sometimes you got to make sure if the subtitles are correct. Now, let's Yeah. I brought this up to Dan a long time ago when we worked at Amex. Now, the original DVD edition of, of Woodstock, some chuckle nuts decided to subtitle 
to caption the songs. And I don't know what he was looking at, but when you take a look at the songs and what they're singing, this guy uh, uh, made up a whole bunch of fucking words. Because it's like, I turned on, I mean, they, they have on split screen the arrival to the site. On one panel, it's people working on the stage. The other panel, it's people, the traffic jam and everything. And over that is wooden ships like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And somebody, I, I know the song by heart. It's a great tune. Um, some, it's like I'm listening to the words. Yes, I've been eating them for six or seven weeks now. Haven't got sick once. And on the, the subtitles is, I've been depressed for a long time. I don't know why. I'm like, who the hell? So now you're watching the movie twice that way. You get two different stories. <laughs> it's like, who the hell? And, and, and that's not the only one. Uh, that's not the only one. So stream it twice. <laughs> it's like um, Alvin Lee of 10 years after, he's, ad, he's ad-libbing on one song and he starts doing a whole lot of shaking going on um, by Jerry Lee Lewis. And the song he's singing is I'm Going Home which is a, a 10 years after song, their own song. But he's, he's ad-libbing. He does a rock and roll a medley in there. He starts going, come on over, baby. Whole lot of shaking going on. Come on over, baby. Whole lot of shaking going on. Now, if anybody has the original DVD edition of, of Woodstock, you need to, to play it and put your subtitles on. Because it says, uh, <laughs> I'm climbing on my baby. I'm not sleeping. Going home. <laughs> You never heard the flipping Jerry Lee Lewis song? Thank goodness on the Blu-ray when they sing the songs, there's no subtitles now. It's so, like a computer generated those subtitles. An AI. The AI. Yeah. Would, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. So Brian, Brian knows this movie. Um, do you, uh, 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 Marianne, I don't know if I say Carl Reiner. I'm sure yep. you know the actor. Okay. Yep. yep. He's a director too. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Made an incredibly stupid movie in the mid '90s called Fatal Instinct, which, okay. which was a rip on uh, kind of. The <laughs> you know where I'm going. Thank you. <laughs> With Armando Santi. <laughs> so, Do I need to write this one down? <laughs> there's a scene where the wife is discussing with her boyfriend killing her husband, and she turns to him and goes. And, and says it, and then at the bottom of the screen it says, speak in Yiddish. Okay? <laughs> but she's not speaking Yiddish. She's just going, jibber, 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 like, she, it's just garbage words together, right? <laughs> like in other Abram Zucker films, like in Hot Shot. Favorite black character actor of all time, and I'm gonna forget his name, but the, he's sitting, um, he's, oh god, he's the one from People Under the Stairs, Brian? The old man, he always seems to have a beard, and he seems to have the eyes that like pierce into your soul. Um, Bill Cobbs? I think his name is Bill Cobbs. Him. Thank you. I think it's him. She was in that thing you do? Tremendous. I wish he had a starring role in a movie because he's so freaking good. He's across at the other bench. And he's listening to them plot this murder. And he says, well, you know, the chances of you being caught after a murder are only about one in 150. And they're both looking at him saying, you speak Yiddish? And he goes, no, but I can read the subtitles. And the subtitles are sitting there, and they both look down at the subtitles across the bottom of the screen and go, shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, well, here's, here's why I bring up that point. So there had been spoof movies before Carl Reiner came along with Fatal Instinct. 
yeah. the, the Naked Gun movies and, and Airplane and all that. You're really telling me Carl Reiner was the first one to make fun of freaking subtitles, right? <laughs> Carl Reiner in his well, brain. Hey, has anybody ever made fun of subtitles? Well, <laughs> kind of. Um, Jim Abrams in Hot Shots when, when he, I mean, I mean, because they're talking gibberish, like, uh, like he says, the the Indian chief goes, um, Latoya, Tito, Germain, and on the <laughs> subtitles is, I need you to get me some batteries. <laughs> a, a mini and then and then uh, uh what's his name uh seth mcfarland does that in uh, a million ways to die yeah, in the way that was my thought too right yeah so anyway my, my point was that I'm, I'm with you on the subtitles but it also reminds me of something spielberg said about a billion years ago when he was interviewed by um lipton on inside the actor studio yeah and he said if you're a good filmmaker you should be able to turn the sound off Mm -hmm. and still be able to figure out what's going on in the movie. Yeah. The, the joke about that is Steven Soderbergh heard him say that. He took Raiders of the Lost Ark, stripped out all the dialogue, stripped out all the color, so it's only in black and white, and it has this weird techno beat that sort of pulses in the background during action scenes and then fades away. And he put it online. And it's absolutely freaking brilliant. I, I can't even begin to describe how wacky this edit of Raiders. Is it still is. online? It's still online if you look for it. Black and white edit of Raiders, Steven Soderbergh. I believe it's on YouTube. I'm going to check it out. But he, you know, do, do, do you remember where he published it? He published it on Vimeo. And Vimeo was just starting out, oh, mm -hmm. right? And so for, for you know, it's like, hey, Vimeo, you want to post this? thing I did and they're like, oh yeah, sure we will, all right. It gets us publicity and you know he's got a free streaming platform. So anyway, cool. I, I like the concept because I do think there are some movies that that have filler that shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and and you know it, it gets me back to are you telling me a story or are you just showing me a series of scenes actors yeah, yeah. or whatever that just happen to have dialogue strung in between them, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I feel like more movies nowadays are like that versus I'm going to tell you a story even in the moments where nothing's happening, right? Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did so, that cover your questions then, Dan? Because you said you had two questions for me about my confession. I, I was curious about what your controversial opinion was. And I'm like, I thought you were going to say what I was saying. And, and I'll say it again to Brian. Brian, mm -hmm. are you ready? Yeah. Brace yourself. Okay. Most Marvel <laughs> movies suck. They suck. <laughs> suck, suck, suck. It all depends on which ones you're talking about. Okay. Well, well, most is a is a big big number. Yeah, so yeah, anything by the Russos has been good, right? Anything by the Russos, um, anything by a great established director. Joe Johnston did the first Captain uh, America. Event. Captain America. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Favreau did Iron Man one and two, and was around for three, but Black Shane Black. Yeah. yeah. Um, Rana did the first and Thor. First two, no, no, only the first one. I think they should have got him back for Dark World. It would have been a much better movie for Dark World. Two, wasn't it Alan Taylor? 
Was it? I yeah. believe so. And he kept okay. In, okay. Kept Fact check me. He was great during the shooting, except post production. That's when shit changed. Right. Um, like, like, like here, here's 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 a different approach for you. Imagine Sam Peckinpah with a Marvel film. Oh shit! Well, it's rated R, right? <laughs> like, like, or or or, or the the eighty seven eleven guys, David Leach and and uh, 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 the the other guy, uh, Chad Stileski. Yeah, yeah. Right. They. I don't know if you guys know this, but they bring them in to do all the second unit stuff on almost yep. every Marvel film, right? Yep. And it got me thinking. Well, screw it. If you're already there, let's get rid of these other directors and just have you do the whole damn movie. <laughs> I love. Like, could you imagine Spider Man? Through the lens of John Wick, <laughs> like yeah. oh, and and I was hoping for that with um, Raimi and 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 uh, and uh, uh, Dark uh, World uh, or not Dark World, Multiverse, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I finally got around to seeing, and half of that movie is fantastic. Yeah, it really is. Half of that movie is great. The other half completely sucks, and it's and it's really hard for me to kind of rectify both sides of that movie. Um, because the actors are great and the, the fan service that's paid in that movie, I gotta say it, man, it pissed me off. What pissed me, yeah. What pissed me off about it? And I liked it. I thought it was better than Thor love and thunder. I'm starting to warm up a lot more to the Eternals. It's one of those, it's a Marvel, it's a Marvel art film. It's not even an MCU film. It's, it's a Chloe Zhao film. Is what it is. I mean, she pitched it. it. That was her idea. She pitched it to Feige. Uh, they weren't even thinking about it. And Feige said, yeah, let's do it. We're going to go with your vision. She was, they allowed her to be an auteur on that film. Um, the more I watch it. I've heard different things. but The but, beautiful but, sunsets. Yeah. But <laughs> I, the more I watch it, the more I like it. Um, but uh, Thor Dark World, I mean, uh, not Thor Dark World. Um, Multiverse. I was hoping Multiverse of Madness um, was actually going to talk about the multiverse. Yeah. Going into the different right. multiverses. They yeah. go into them in a bunch of flash cuts. Yeah. And they go through paint world. They go through animation world. Thank God for um, everything, everywhere, all at once, because it gave me that. I was yeah. hoping... Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness would movie of the year. Everybody, go see everything, I, everywhere. I agree. So far, Elvis is a close second for me, and Nope is third. Um, but um, I really like Nope that much. I really like. I like Jordan Peele. I, I like him. Um, but, yeah, I like Jordan Peele too. Nope wasn't my probably still three out of three for. I want. I, I want to see it again. Oh, and so called and Top Gun Maverick is a. The Batman is one of my favorites of this year. Yeah. Yep. Oh, Top Gun Maverick was, I, 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 I joke, I, I, okay, I hope I'm not spoiling anything for anybody, but it's a one word thing. Everybody, you ready for it? Mm. Drones. <laughs> Drones. Yes. This never would have happened. Oh, hi, Max. Ever. <laughs> okay, we're good. Uh, but other than that, and, and, and I also, I absolutely adore the scene where Maverick's just like, can I cuss? Yeah, go ahead. Wait, he he wants to tell you what his favorite movie is. No, no. Oh, no, please, go ahead. Well, they know my favorite movie. It's now The Godfather. It used to be Lawrence of Arabia, but 
Um, we want to know your favorite movie, Max. Tell us. Yes. Bring it. If what do you, you got, can, dude? If you can decide, I know it's hard to decide for me too. Spider-Man What's your no favorite movie of the last year? How about that? Can you do that? He did. He said Spider-Man No Way Home. He doesn't Spider-Man want to do it. He's embarrassed. He's embarrassed. Okay. What Spider- that's a great movie. It yeah. was. It was very good. Now, that's an MCU film because it's part MCU, part Spider-Verse, but... Uh, yeah. uh, Sony. It's a Sony film. <laughs> it's a Sony film. Sorry, it's Sony. Sony. Sony, who actually kind of understands this whole, oh, yeah, that's right. That's how you make movies. Excuse <laughs> me. Morbius. Morbius. Come on, Dan. Morbius. That's kind of how you make movies. But, okay, but how much did they throw at Morbius? I don't know. They, they, I, they the threw only, a lot of dates at Morbius. I don't know about money. But. Yeah, they threw a lot of dates. <laughs> My point is, I don't think they threw a lot of money at Morbius as they did Spider-Man. So, oh, we lost money on Morbius. So what? It's not working. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Yeah, that's a fair point. So, you know, so controversial topics. You've had yours. Brian, do you want to go with, do we want to keep going with the Marvel thing? or well, because it's almost so typical, you know. It really is. I mean, I like Marvel, but I could also see where there is room for improvement. But if I want to see, but, but honestly, as a whole, the Infinity Saga, as they now call it, as a whole, I like it. Yes. With, I mean, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, you're right. If you want to talk about the individual movies, the Russo brothers are their movies are the best. But as a whole, when you start from Iron Man, or if you want to watch it in chronological order, I mean, why I loved Endgame so much is because they got me invested in the characters. I think if there's a problem with the new phase right now, is that I'm not really invested in anything. Shang Chi, yeah. But Eternals, they tried to do um, um, way too much, I felt. It was like a Robert Altman film in the MCU. Uh, oh, yeah, it was good. I'm sorry. Right? Eternals would have been interesting as a miniseries. Yes. Yeah. But, but like, like a, a, you know, like, when, Marvel. <laughs> uh, I, I was rewatching um, Little Drummer Girl on A&E. Oh, yeah. You, right? Uh, 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 Marianne, are you familiar with uh, uh, John Le Carre and the spy genre? Uh, not a lot, but I'm aware of the miniseries, yeah. So so Little Drummer Girl, very simply, is Florence Pugh is an actress. She's recruited by the British to be in a fake movie overseas, but she's actually going to be spying for the British. Is that like Argo almost? Kind of like Argo, but not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, very well done. And I'd forgotten just exactly how great an actress Florence Pugh is. Oh, God, I love her. I love her. Well, I got very sour because of um, a recent Ari Aster movie that we won't get into. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a controversial topic. I love Ari Aster. It's summer. So anyway, that, I, guess, I guess my controversial thing is uh, Marvel movies suck, or most of them do. And, but I think they could be better, to your point. Uh, and I'm just, I'm, I'm really kind of sick of, I'm sort of sick of the over commentating on how bad they are. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mean the MCU? I were joking. Wait, I missed, I missed it because he, he, he had my attention. What now? Yeah, we're cool. I, I was, I was, I was telling Marianne the conversation you and I had before we started, and I was telling him Marianne that slamming Thor Love and Thunder seems to have become a cottage industry on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. 
But there's all these commentators coming out of the woodwork who I've never heard of before saying, hey, this movie sucked. And it's like, yeah, I heard that from the last 20 commentators. Tell me something honestly, I don't know. Yeah, but honestly, I don't follow all those. There's only a few film commentators I follow. Uh, the, the guys on Double Toasted I follow. Um, Chris Stuckman is a guy I like. I mean, because I don't go to my critics anymore in the newspaper because, unfortunately, they're not read. But I love Chris Stuckman. Um, for me Marvel it's like because I've watched all of them now it's like I kind of am going to keep watching to keep up with it but I'm not necessarily going to go back and rewatch most of them so for me it's pretty middle ground like I like a lot of them but I'm not like dying to go rewatch Iron Man 3 or something well you know I do go back and watch those because I started Dan and I were there opening weekend for Iron Man when that came out nice I did. Those? I did a, a marathon when um, Avengers came out. The yeah. first Avengers. I, I watched all of those. I, mean, I have no problems. I have no problem watching Iron Man at any time. I have no problem watching any of the Captain America films. I do have to be forced into watching Thor: The Dark <laughs> World. I have no problem watching the Guardians of the Galaxy films. Yeah, uh, Thor Ragnarok. The two Avengers films that uh, that 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 I mean we didn't did, especially the first one. Especially, I fell asleep both times I watched that. Uh, I don't know how that happened. Once was because yeah. it was ten o'clock at night after that marathon, and then yeah. once was not. I'll and so this, I don't know. Maybe it's just that movie just didn't watch a Merchant Ivory film at nine thirty at night. In the movie. <laughs> no. uh, and I gotta say, James Spader as Ultron. Yeah, Jesus God, I can you get a better bad guy? No, yeah, he, no. he was great. Ultron just, I, I, yeah, and then and then they had the footage of him in the suit. Yeah, and it's James Spader, old now, wearing glasses, bald head, pouchy gut. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Marianne brought something up for me, and I don't know if I want to go this route because this is going to be oh my god. Because you got forty minutes to defend your position. Then, if I go this route, (laughs) you're not only talking about the person's art; you're talking about the things outside of the art too. Uh, So, I don't know if I want to go that route. I don't know if I'm uh, ready to go that route. That's fine. I was just spitting ideas. You didn't have to take them. But at the same time, I feel I need to say something. But I don't know if I'm ready to say it yet. (laughs) <laughs> Dan just standing there. <laughs> no, it, it's it's kind of an interesting. Yeah, I think he knows what I'm talking about. No, I mean, I, well, yes and no. Marianne's position, Marianne's frame of reference is: I got to catch up. I'm behind on movies, so I'm going to go this way to do it. Now, is she losing something by not seeing all the stylistic choices? that a cinematographer or a sound editor may make because she's seeing the film sped up. Sure. Am I really missing it though? It's just going faster. Like I can still see like the the lighting and stuff. Okay. I don't know if this is a controversial topic, but I would say that it does kind of piss me off that when you pay to see a movie that's two hours and 20 minutes, or an hour and 30 minutes, however long the damn movie is, you're paying for two hours and 20 minutes, and that's including credits. (laughs) You are paying for those credits. 
regardless of whether you walk out or not, you are shortchanging yourself. And I don't know why. And to Marvel's credit, this is why they decided to do post-credit scenes. Practical reason. They said, Kevin Feige actually said this. We started post-credit scenes so we can get people to watch the credits. Wait, huh? That's why they said they said that's why he said we started doing those post credit scenes so people could actually sit there and watch the credits to give people honestly that sounds like a crap thing for him to say <laughs> like I mean that, like, so like like it's a it's a publicity thing um, post credit you and I have this discussion where did post credit scenes come from was it Burt Reynolds when he was doing Cannonball Run and 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 they're doing the bloopers at the end of the movie and right and they're like no oh, no keep keep the camera rolling keep the camera rolling right and and uh, do do you know uh, uh, Marianne do you know is, am I saying his name right Hal Needham 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 that's his name so Hal Needham I've heard of him yeah okay yeah but do you know his his background mm -mm. okay so Hal Needham was stuntman mm -hmm. he was like an insane stuntman so like he made his bones in the fifties and the sixties working on all those Wild West shows. Okay. And then in the 60s, moving into the 70s, he he always understood film. He always understood cameras and how they worked. And and he's like, well, I can do that. You know what I mean? That's not that hard. And he became buddies with Burt Reynolds. So when Burt Reynolds was uh, thinking about doing uh, Smokey and the Bandit, right? He's like, yeah, I need somebody to direct. And he's like, oh, wait, I know this Hal guy, right? And if anything, Hal's going to make the car chase scenes look good and it i don't know if you've seen smoking in the bandit in a while but there's a great scene early on where the bandit loses a cop by driving around a building and then kind of driving on a grassy area mm -hmm. and as he's driving the camera's here and you see bandit drive up like this and then he stops and he looks at the camera like hey everybody i know you're watching me while i'm doing this right and he takes off and I always wonder if that scene was sort of the beginning of, oh, yeah, we can do this. We can break that fourth wall. We can admit there's people out there and interact with them. Well, um, breaking the fourth wall, though, goes back to oh, I know. Brothers comedies. Yeah, I know. I know. But what I'm saying is, is it hadn't been done in so long that when, when Needham and Reynolds did it in Bandit, it was kind of like it was new all over again. <clears throat> and then you saw post-credit scenes and people making the bloopers at the tail end of the film. And, and, and you really began to understand that there was, a, there was an ethic to this. Then it went away for a while. Then, you know, people weren't watching the credits. And, you know, the, the Zucker boys, when they would do Airplane, would sneak in those weird credits. Like, like the one that would say, Four E's, a jolly good fellow. Yeah. <laughs> A tale of the cities, Charles Dickens. <laughs> it just kind of, you know, so it kind of made you want to stick around to see what the joke was. Yeah. Um, and then during the Matrix movies, they did the second Matrix movie and had the trailer for the third one at the end of it. At the end, yep. Right? Oh, so, also, no, actually, it was pre-credit. I was going to say Back to the Future 2, but that was pre-credit. Well, it was pre-credit, yeah, right, and and so I, I don't know how much that counts, right. but I guess my point is it became interesting again to do fun things with the credits, to do interesting things with the credits. 
there wasn't a post credit scene in Iron Man. Yeah, there was. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, the, what, you're right. Yeah. Nick Fury's there. Nick Fury. Uh, and he tells him, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Right. But, but anyway, my point is, so the Marvel movies made it interesting again. Yeah. Now, whether, whether Feige came up with that one, that particular post-credit scene to introduce Sam Jackson as Nick Fury, that I could totally believe that he said, oh, let's do this and kind of keep everybody in their seats. You know what I mean? For, the, for, the, for those couple of minutes. Uh, but it became hip again. And now I haven't seen it outside of Marvel films. Have you? Has anybody? No, only only a couple. I know Ridley Scott had uh, a take on uh, the the silent great train robbery at the end of uh, American Gangster. At the end of American Gangster, once the credits are done, Denzel Washington is in a bar. He walks up to the camera and shoots the camera at the end. Uh, I never knew that. Yeah. I never knew that. Now I got to watch it again. Yeah, and and uh, but I guess that's not that. Uh, hold on, I'm on a call here. No, no, no. So Harris. like, I mean, if you think back to like, I mean, it used to be that the credits were just at the beginning, and that was right. it. And it so, was only and it was only the basic things. It was, yeah, like the the department it, heads or whatever. It wasn't. It, it. I mean, I mean, for visual effects, you'd say visual effects supervisor Albert Whitlock or something like right, that. Right, right. Or uh, um. Um, but once ILM came out, um, it does, does the end credit scene from Ferris Bueller count? Yes. <laughs> oh, it counts. Because the movie is still going too while the scroll is going on. That's true. But, yeah. Made fun of in Deadpool too. Right. So yeah. absolutely harken back to that. Yeah. It's a great one. Yeah. I think John, John Hughes always had a very playful. Yeah. With yeah. all his movies. She's having a baby. As the credits are going, all these famous celebrities are are naming for the couple. Woody <laughs> uh, Harrelson says mucus. Remember mucus? He yeah. goes, mucus. And Ted Danson looks at him like, mucus? You can't name a baby mucus. That's such a great movie. I, I And John Hughes only directed two more films after that, but that's, to me, John Hughes at his finest. I, oh, wait, wait, hold you're, on. You're I'm going to pause this. We usually will check. All right. Or say that again. Uh, when I go to the movies now, when once the credits start, my boyfriend will often check and he'll just Google and say, is there a post credit scene in whatever okay. movie? And if there's not, we usually just leave. I will you say. Sorry, Brian. No, I will, <laughs> say, I, I will say I've always loved titles. And I think, I think titles have become a lost art. Um, one because almost everything is done at the end. Uh, but even, but I will say the Marvel films, even at the end, before the, the, the scroll, they usually have a title sequence um, mm -hmm. before that scroll happens. Uh, I don't like uh, the lazy white on black directed by, I, I like title sequences and I miss the art of a Saul, um, Bass or a Maurice uh, Binder or a uh, the Italian guy who did all the Italian films like uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, Lardiani is his last name. Yeah, um, Mardiani. Mardiani, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, he's and, and the art of the title sequence. I miss that. But one of the things, I mean, first off, if I'm watching the end credits, you see me sitting there looking, sit your fucking ass down or duck down, okay? <laughs> 
away from a woman. I have to see that third person who worked on the camera. You know what? It's because of the end credits. My favorite thing about film, I love cinematography. Don't get me wrong. I love uh, I love looking at the new cameras, but I love sound. I love sound, and it's because of the end credits. I became familiar with names like Ben Burt, Walter Murch, Gary Ridestorm, Randy mm -hmm. Tom, um, um, Ren Kleiss. You know all these uh, wizards who moved sound. Um, um, Wiley Stateman, Lonnie Bender, um, and uh, you know, uh, 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 Disney uh, Plus is doing a, a thing on Industrial Light and Magic, which is a good series. There is that documentary called Making Waves on um, Amazon about film sound and the, the sound designers. Well, I would like a documentary on the on the history of Skywalker Sound, on what uh, Lucas did to innovate sound and do a state-of-the-art sound system in uh, a mixing stage in out of Hollywood and how that got other independent studios like Lightstorm and others mm -hmm. to follow suit um, and really innovate film sound in Hollywood. So I like seeing those names. I like to know who, I like to know the camera process, which they don't even sure. do anymore, hardly, right. just tiny. Cameras and lenses provided by Panavision. You know, okay, what do you do? I miss seeing <laughs> filmed in Panavision. That meant something. Filmed in this Panavision. This is not sponsored by Panavision, but we're willing to take your donations. I mean, this wasn't <laughs> any vision. It was Pan. <laughs> you know? But, no, no, there's a point to that. I mean, I mean... You know, I, I always joke when we when Brian and I watch a movie together, he watches for the sound, I watch for the the second unit people, right? And I watch and, the cinematography as well. And, and, I, and I mean, I watch the whole thing, but uh, 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 we watched the Northmen. Remember the Northmen? Oh, and the Northmen had drone footage people. Yes. which blew our minds. Like, wait a minute, they have a whole series of damn <laughs> drone footage? Like, what? Like, yeah. is this going to be a thing now? Where and but but if you've not seen the Northman, Marianne, I have seen it. Oh my dear God, the the scenes of the countryside, yeah, they're just so freaking gorgeous. And I assumed it was a helicopter, right? Now that I know it's a drone, and you can get shots like that from a damn drone, are you kidding me? We don't need I mean, to hire a helicopter and a pilot anymore. <laughs> can hire your brother, Brian. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and you and I joke about Carpenter. One of the reasons why Carpenter got as much done as he did is that he can fly a helicopter. Yeah. So anytime there was a helicopter shot needed, he's like, screw it. I'll get in the helicopter. I'll do it. Right. Because he wasn't going to pay for somebody else. Right. You know, right. And, so, and, and you make a point about sound being so important because the sound, how do I say this? The sound doesn't carry the movie, but the sound carries the environment. Exactly. I remember. I remember Coppola saying it's been, because it's that generation of directors, if you notice, that really paid attention to sound. Even Martin Scorsese, and as much as I love Scorsese, it might be a controversial opinion. I don't. I, I came into my head. He's not an innovator, you know. Coppola and Lucas did a lot of the innovations, you could say. But that whole generation, that whole generation, and I know Dan's going to go somewhere. 
Yes, uh, I take that back. Scorsese is an innovator because I don't want to go down that road. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, here, here's, the, here's the comment I'll make and I'll make it quick. Scorsese allowed for innovation, but it wasn't True. hidden. Okay, yeah. Right? The, 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 the tracking shots and the color of money of the pool balls. Yeah. Oh, my freaking oh. God. How right? he gets the close-up of the ball, and it's not animation. It's the ball's ball. like rolling at you. You know what I mean? Like, and so you can just tell he turned it. It was Michael. What's his name? Right, the oh, cinematographer. Right. He just looked at him and said, "Just do whatever the hell you want. Like, I trust you. Right. I hired you. Do it. Right. Yeah. If you can make it work, you know. Um, the 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 stuff with um, the stuff in um, 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 Wolf of Wall Street when they're on the boat and the boat's yeah. crashing. And and you you see the camera move from handheld to steady to back to handheld, and it's each of them in a different because like some of them are in their drug induced haze, right? And yeah. the other characters, the pilot and the wife, are not. So they're steady cam, you know, they're steady shot. So yeah, it's interesting that I was actually shocked how many visual effects shots are in that movie. Even that last shot of the of the prison. You know, a tennis court is made up of six, seven different pieces. Um, I, I was actually shocked how many. I mean, they're not in um, um, Venice, Italy. They're on a soundstage with a green screen. Um, mm -hmm. But anyways. Um, so so your, that your contribution. I'm yeah, sorry. What, what? Yeah. But that sorry, generation of filmmakers paid attention to, to sound. Uh, and Coppola yeah. has said, I mean, recently, the reason why we paid attention to sound is because sound is cheaper than film. We at least knew that if we paid attention to sound, the picture might be bad, but we can get a very good soundtrack. Um, <laughs> so wait a minute, are you saying Coppola was Ice-T or Ice Cube during the Players Club? <laughs> Guess what? The soundtrack. <laughs> I mean, what did he say? Making the movie, and they would literally say, "All right, cut the film. Fuck it. Let's go work on the soundtrack." Um, um, what was his name? Um, with John Favreau on uh, Dinner of the Five. What was his? Um, what was that guy's name again? Who said that? What are we talking about? I'm sorry, I'm lost here. Favreau. But but no, but he was the one who talked about that uh, on on uh, dinner for five. Phase on love. Yep, yeah, phase on love. love. He's like, I was on Players Club. Ice Cube. He's like, I'm roll the thing. Are you gonna see action? Roll the mud. Roll the thing. <laughs> All right, hit this mother. All right, we're done. Let's go work on the soundtrack. <laughs> There's another one. Phase on love. Brilliant character actor, brilliant comedian. Yeah, I, I, I there, there's so many. Bill Duke, remember Bill Duke? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, Bill Duke! I, I, I could watch Bill Duke read the damn phone book. Are you kidding also, me? Also, good director. Yeah, also good director. Sorry. All right, so I guess <laughs> that I don't know if this is to that's totally controversial, but that is controversial to me. But um, if you want me to really, I want to get back on topic. Are you saying talking about Marianne's watching films quickly thing is? Oh, no, uh, uh, people not. It was a confession. It wasn't super controversial. 
I didn't oh, think so. Yeah. <laughs> so when I first pitched the idea, it was like confessions. And then I realized right. it didn't really make sense the way I Here's phrased it. So then I added controversial opinions because it might be something like. Here's my confession. Here's my confession. And I don't want it to go and I'm long. I'm not going to talk about my beliefs of him outside of here, but I will say that they're opposite than the media. But I still watch Woody Allen films and I still love his classic period. And I, and it's almost like I have to be ashamed about posting on Facebook that I'm currently watching Annie Hall or I'm currently watching Crimes and Misdemeanors. But you're talking about a body of work during that period beginning with Take the Money and Run, his first comedy. Uh, uh, even in the 80s, he was still consistent, ending with Crimes and Misdemeanors. And even in the 90s, starting with Husbands and Wives and Manhattan Murder Mystery. A body of work there that is, I mean, brilliant in its writing and direction. <laughs> I used to think about both I, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. And I'll give you, here, here's a great counterexample to that. Watch Matchpoint. Yes. Remember Matchpoint? Matchpoint was a brilliant film. Jesus, that movie is so good. And that's and, out and, of what he normally does, too. It's yes. shot in England, and it's two hours long. That's the only film he's done that's two hours long. And it's and a thrill. for that when you watch it. Yeah. I, it's, I, I always make this argument with you about Spike Lee. Spike Lee is at his absolute 100% best when he's doing thriller movies. That man can do a thriller movie like no other director. Oh, I'm serious. It's not a thriller movie. You don't like Do the Right Thing? I know. <laughs> my, you, you know what my favorite Spike Lee movie is, and you always make fun of me for it. Um, no. Uh, um, Inside Man. No, 25th Hour. Yeah. My favorite yeah. Spike Lee movie is The 25th Hour. It's it's fantastic. That movie is so incredible. I love it, but still, um, my favorites of his are Do the Right Thing. And I honestly think Spike Lee works best when he has a big canvas. Like um, Malcolm X. Sorry, not sorry. I think Miracle at St. Anna is very underrated for a World War II. It's a good, very it's great movie. It very good different. Movie. People didn't get it. The only issue I have with it is the the brief cameo of John Liguizamo. I did not understand that whole sequence, but that's beside the point. He got John in his film. So, the five words is tremendous. Yeah. but I mean, uh, there's another one. Delroy Del Lindo. Delroy oh, Lindo. God. Oh, the five. He was the robbed five. of an Oscar nomination. The five bloods. Absolutely. He should have been nominated. What so, the hell so was that? Lindo is in Heist, Marianne, yeah. the, the old David Mamet movie. Okay. And, and Lindo has a great scene at the end where he's talking with Hackman about never seeing him again. They're going to break up the partnership. And, and, he, and he slides a, a matchbook over to Hackman, and Hackman looks at it and says, this is, what, this is where you want me to send your share? And he says, yeah, wherever you get where you're going. And, and he says, you know, someplace warm, someplace sunny, someplace where you don't know anybody. And Hackman looks at him and kind of half laughs and says, is that where I'm going? And Lindo looks at him like he's looking through him. I, I can't even put it any other That's way. such a stare on him. Wherever it is, brother, don't come back. And it's like, Spike, wow. in, in the clockers, Spike, which Spike Lee directed, 
he's, he's such a mentor to Strike. Yeah. And then when yeah. Strike finally says, um, fuck you, Rodney, he pulls up, excuse me. Yeah, right. Oh, fuck you. And, and it's like, whoa. It's on a dime. He, he's in maybe one of the stupidest movies of all time called This Christmas, which is like one of those like, you know, black holiday family films or whatever. Yeah. And for some reason, Idris Elba shows up in it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a scene between Idris Elba and Delroy Lindo, and Delroy Lindo is dating his mom. But no one wants to admit that he's dating his mom. But Idris is a smart guy and figures this out. So Lindo goes to him and says, look, man, you and me, we need to have this out because I love your mom. And that's that's the end of it for me. And he says, whatever you feel, whatever you think, whatever you want to want to say about me, you go ahead and say, because I'm not here for you. I'm here for your mom and I love your mom. And it was just like and you never really think of anybody standing up to Idris Elba and making him look foolish. Delroy Lindo makes him look foolish. I, there's just there's just no other way to say it. Yeah. And he he's such a great actor. And I and I always feel like Spike Lee says, I'm going to take character actors that you're probably familiar with or that you remember from that movie, but I'm going to put them and make them the star of the movie. Yeah. And you're going to remember that they're great actors. You're going to remember, right? Ch- Chadwick Boseman is in that movie for what? Maybe 10, 15 minutes? Yeah. Of total screen time? Yeah. And almost owns the entire movie. He does. Amazing. Amazing that's, stuff. That's what, so, I call, that's what I call the Marlon Brando, uh, the Coppola Marlon Brando rule. He knew that yeah. Marlon Brando was... Uh, Don Vito Corleone in The Godfather is only in the movie for a little bit, but you need an actor who just walking on the screen is going to be an event that even when he's not on the screen, his presence is still felt. Yeah, I still I still like when uh, I was rewatching the making of Ocean's Thirteen. Yeah, and 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 Jerry Weintraub says to says to uh, or Al Pacino says to Jerry Weintraub, the producer, "How do these guys feel about me? What do they think about me?" And he says, remember when you walked on the set of The Godfather and you saw Marlon Brando? And he goes, yeah. And he says, that's what these guys think about you. <laughs> and, he, and, and Pacino, like, stopped and went, whoa. Like, I'm on that level? I'm on Brando's level to these guys? And it's like, yeah, dude. I, I mean, mean, you're in it. You don't know it, you know? Well, no, but I mean, like, and, and in Pacino's mind, he could never be on Brando's level, right? Oh. But but he is because he's just so damn good. So damn good. Uh, and and you know to kind of pull back the string on where we were. So you're you're not just talking about Woody Allen, I don't think. You're talking about anybody who's undergone a period of controversy. Right. I think we originally started this thread, if you will. Talking I think, about- I think Woody Allen's situation is a bit different, but I don't want to go there. Whereas Roman Polanski, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, what the guy did, but to Aaron, who's usually here as well, but he's not here today, to his point, his wife and child were murdered. So you right. got to understand, I mean, what he did was wrong, but there's some psychological shit happening in Roman Polanski's head. On top of that, he's a Holocaust survivor. Think about that. He was do, do, at Auschwitz. Do you guys know Antonio Brown, the football player? If I say that name, do you know who I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. So a lot of people think he has um, mental issues because of football. 
you know, like the CTE damage yeah. concussions and things like that. And that's why he acts like a goofball. <clears throat> I almost feel like the same thing could be happening with Polanski, that he suffered such a hor- horrible, horrific tragedy that it's just literally messed with his head and his psyche in yeah, such a way. He saw his parents killed in the Holocaust. Or right. one of his parents. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, this, this guy's seen some shit, for lack of a better term. Um, but I guess more my point is, I think we should be able to separate artists from their art. Yeah. Like, uh, we should be able, like, you know, uh, uh, one of my favorite actors who never gets enough credit for anything is Patrick Wilson. Anybody know Patrick Wilson? Yeah. Okay. One of his first movies was Hard Candy. Has anybody seen Hard Candy? No, but I've heard of it. Okay. So Hard Candy's a messed up movie. Mm -hmm. And he's the protagonist. He's the bad guy. Um, But by the end of the movie, it's questionable as to who's the bad guy between himself and... Is she, is she credited as Ellen Page or Elliot Page in that movie now, Brian? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think at the time, um, you know, she was Ellen. Well, I mean, she was Ellen because she's like 15 or 16 in the movie, right? So um, Wilson never really got a chance to be a big-time leading actor right. since Hard Candy. And almost every time he's gotten his shot to be that, didn't quite work out the way he thought. He was in Watchmen as the new Night Owl. Uh, he was just recently in Emmerich's uh, Moonfall, Moonfall, right, as the main actor. That's right. That's right. So I, I start to wonder. He was okay, an awful man. <laughs> so he was in a movie that portrayed his character as the scummiest of scumbags, right? Do people from that point on go, oh man, I can't cast Patrick Wilson. He was in Hard Candy. I can't have him as the next Harrison Ford. I can't have him as the next blah, 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 you know, fill in the blank of whatever this whole you know, thing of being typecast. And also nowadays, um, Hey, look, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I, I know where I stand politically. You guys know where I am, but I do have this issue. No, I just don't, you know, like to talk Fire politics me. because, but yeah, but I tend to be um, I'm more left of the dial. But uh, but I understand where things need to be canceled, but where things don't as well. Like you can't be you can't be you can't be a, a mad at a filmmaker or a writer for using racial slurs in something when you're talking about a certain period, you know. Because here is the deal. Uh, nowadays, it's like everybody's too can, far. Can I be mad at D.W. Griffith for Birth of a Nation? Oh, yeah. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. <laughs> and to me, that's not even his masterpiece. It's intolerance. All right, we got 10 uh, uh, minutes left, so we'll have to wrap it up. I would uh, like yeah. to say something about this whole thing, but go okay. ahead. But Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to do closing thoughts. So so yeah. are you done, Brian? So we can but, take it up. But, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'm going to say, but... But nowadays, if um, it's twofold, if Tarantino didn't have anybody using the N word in Django Unchained, it dealing with the antebellum South, they would have said, "Where's the racism?" But then he does that, the N word and stuff like that, and they're saying Tarantino's still fatuated with the N word, you know. Um, so it, it's too like um, David Gordon Green, who's done the new Halloween trilogy. It's going to be. His first movie is a brilliant film, Terrence Malick-inspired George Washington. 
And I believe it takes place in South Carolina or North Carolina, um, um, where he grew up. It's a predominantly black cast, but in the neighborhood they live in, it's poor blacks and poor whites. But when the film came out, a lot of people were taking him to task saying, where's the racism? It's the South. Where's the racist characters? And he was like, well, where I grew up, there was none. We were all yeah. equally poor. Was poor. <laughs> like, so there's that. Racism. <laughs> so there's like this double standard that does kind of bother me about that. So that's another confession I have. Go on, Mary. Okay. And then we have to do closing thoughts. We have eight and a half minutes left. Okay, I'll try to be quick. My thing with the whole Woody Allen Polanski, just like in general controversial figures, of course it depends on the, the person and what they supposedly had have done. But for me, it kind of just becomes a question like, I'm not going to say don't watch anything Woody Allen ever did or nothing that Polanski ever did because, you know, obviously the things that they have made weren't necessarily before or after we found out these controversial things about them. That's one thing. And you can't really cancel something that already came out. Like you can choose not to watch it, of course. My question is more about like moving forward. Like once we find out these things about them, it's like in the Polanski situation, like, I mean, maybe it's because I'm a woman, but I wouldn't really want to hear that if it, if I had been the rape victim in that situation. Oh, well, he was a Holocaust survivor and his wife was killed. So sorry you got raped, but, you know, he's going to keep making movies. So sorry. Like that to me just seems kind of weird and icky and not really like that. Like, why is he allowed to continue making movies is more my question. And like James Franco, this whole thing with him and Fidel Castro, like. I don't know if he was necessarily went to trial or anything, but he has some really questionable things. Like, why is he still making things, you know, like, or why are people still working with him? Like, Woody Allen said, that's my thing. It's moving forward. It's not necessarily Woody the Allen's past. Situation is only, there's only one accusation made and it was done by. Yeah, Mia, I know. Ronan and Dylan. So I do think it's funny for his movies that even, I mean, I haven't seen all of them, but a lot of them, it's like, why are there so many? <laughs> like old man, younger woman. Only Manhattan. Only Manhattan. No, but like even still, like um, well, that, that's the like one a with uh, Larry David. I don't remember what it was called, but he did one with Larry David where he's in a relationship with Evan Rachel Wood. Like, why? Yeah. Just why is everything like an older man? Younger? That's yeah. all my. That's all I'm saying. It's like make a different movie, like Match Point. Or I think you're done on it. I, I will. I will ask this question though. So let's say just the second argument. Okay. Well, um, his uh, Polanski served time, went to jail for five years, okay. came out, and he wants to make movies again. And he goes and he says, somebody give me money to make a movie. Now, eventually, he's probably going to have a good story to tell. It might even be about his time in jail, right? Mm -hmm. Jordan Belfort writes the book, blah, 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 mm -hmm. whatever. <clears throat> um, would it then be okay because you could say, well, he served his time? He I'd be a little more okay with it, at least. I'd be yeah. like, okay, he yeah. he served his time and he has shown remorse. I mean, it's kind of hard to show remorse necessarily in some situations, but... He's like, he showing remorse in Paris or wherever the hell he is. Right. Uh, you know, he might be like, maybe he volunteers at a, I don't know, at a rape shelter. What do I know? But I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, he might be doing that, but I don't know. So yeah. I, I do think there's, there's a that we should be able to separate art from the artist, but more to your point, we should be able to not cancel anything, but ignore everything we want. Yeah, right? I should be yeah. able to ignore. Uh, 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 I should be able to ignore 
<clears throat> Brian's opinion on Marvel movies. <clears throat> I don't think they're the best movies I ever joke, made. I joke, I joke. You know, I love you. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to get I wanted to get to closing thoughts. So um, I guess uh, Marianne will kick it off with you. Closing thoughts. What are you looking forward to? The last whatever whatever this is last five months of I got five twenty twenty yeah. two. Uh, yeah, what's coming out? Uh, blah, 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 blah. I am not looking forward to Avatar. Sorry. I don't know about Avatar fans out there. Every time I see the trailer, I just kind of like tune out. I don't care. I'm, I'm really not that interested in it. Um, I did. That was half of your answer to your question. Um, what's the trailer that I mean, I just was at a movie last night. What did I see trailers for? Um, I'm interested. It's in a couple weeks. Bodies, bodies, bodies. That looks kind of fun. Um, that looks pretty interesting and then what even is coming out in august i don't know um i haven't seen bullet train yet i'll probably see that bullet train halloween ends coming out towards the end of the year oh and i had said this in the chat too the funny thing is i want to see amsterdam but i i don't know if i if i can go see it in the theater because of david o russell i just don't know if i can do that i'll still go see it um uh, I sorry I interrupted you, Marianne, because we got four minutes. That's okay. No, that that was that's okay. it. I said three. Uh, that's fine. I do want to see Amsterdam. Uh, I was looking forward to Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese, but that's now been both here uh, for the Cannes Film Festival. So uh, Amsterdam, um, Babylon, Babylon, definitely. Yeah. I love Damien. I love Damien. Uh, historical epic, first man masterpiece. <laughs> Um, Spielberg's The Fablemans. Ah, uh, yeah. Autobiography. He's never done anything directly based on his life, and that is. I just wish he had filmed it here. Yeah, he filmed it. In, well, come on, it's uh, it's not uh, it's not the early '60s anymore out here. It's my. Oh, I know, but so there's just so few films filmed here that you know it's right. like, hey, you have an opportunity. Oh, you're going to New Mexico or wherever. Uh, there was another one. Um. I, I am interested in Avatar because I just, I mean, uh, Cameron is usually right every time. That's true. Even though we count him out, but he's usually always right. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be a big movie. He was right about The Abyss. He was right about T2. Uh, I need that money. <laughs> right. So there you go. Wakanda forever. How about that, Dan? <laughs> uh, you know, no, I, so, so my daughter and I both said the same thing. I would love Wakanda forever if Angela Bassett became the hero. Yeah, mm. I want the queen to take over, put on that outfit, and beat the living shit out of everybody in a five mile radius. Because wow. if anybody and carry seriously, and if anybody can carry the gravitas to pull that shit off, oh, yeah. it's Angela motherfucking Bassett. Yeah, it is. It is the person who brought Tina Turner to life, right? Yep. Yeah. So if it's me writing it, if if I'm Ryan Coogler, I'm saying, you know what? Mom takes over, Mama Bear becomes defender of wakanda you can't even you can't even that'd be awesome story than that, you know but i don't think it's going to go that way and that's fine um the i guess the one thing that I, I suppose i'm looking forward to the most before the end of the year and it's going to sound really dumb the halloween series might finally freaking end <laughs> I, yes yes if any franchise has gone through more bizarre twists and turns then the Halloween franchise and Michael Myers, I can't think of one. Yeah. I really can't. That character has had so many bizarre things happen to it. So I, I really, really, really am curious to know how they're going to write that. Um, and I would say, you know, the actress of the year, Jamie Lee Curtis, man. Oh, Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis. 
not only is she great and everything everywhere all at once, but she stood up and said, hey, Michelle Yeoh's great. Hey, this cast is great. Hey, we're we're the better multiverse movie, right? She <laughs> on social media and say that. And then I don't know if you and guys watch cost as much as Multiverse of Madness. I don't know if you guys watch Rena 911, mm-hmm. if you know that show. She shows up for a guest appearance on two episodes as a consultant to try to help the the <laughs> police. What happened? One minute left. Okay, fine. Uh, to help the police squad. And then at the end of the uh, end of the second episode, they're like, hey, some homeless woman stole a cop outfit. And they're like, now she's going to be in Halloween end. So I, I, you know, it's great for me to see an older actress still yeah. in her prime, still, you know, back in the old role that she's been working since the 70s from Halloween forward and made her bones and all that. That's what I love. I, I love seeing the recognition of a great actor or actress finally getting their due. Michelle Yeoh is getting that for everything, everywhere, all at once. She's getting that now for not only that movie, but Halloween ends as well. So definitely looking forward to that for the end of the year. Nice. And with that, this is fun filled episode of Fireside Film Family. I'm Brian. I'm Marianne. That's Marianne. I'm Dan. Bye.